Well, welcome so much. Thank you, worship team. So glad you guys are here. We want to welcome everybody watching online, especially our Gracing campus. Can we get up for our Gracing campus? Yes. God did some uh, amazing things last weekend. In case if you were not here, our Easter services, we had five here at the Moorhead campus. We had four at the Gracing campus. And last week, we saw 3,126 people gather and worship at Better Life Church. Is that not amazing? I mean, that's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. We had 2,705 people at this campus, and we had 421 people at the Grayson campus, which is phenomenal. The church is 13 weeks old, and 420-some people is showing up, and that is just amazing. But the greatest number of all, it's not attendance and things like that, is that recorded that people shared with us. We had 42 people give their life to Jesus last Sunday, and that is worth rejoicing. And so today we kick off this brand new series called M perfect and if you're perfect and you come to this church you come to the wrong church because we mess you up we're gonna mess you up if you think that you are perfect in fact look at the person sit beside you say hey I'm not perfect go ahead and tell them not perfect look back at them and say uh, I already knew that or like right come on like duh right have you ever noticed that a lot of times you'll bump into somebody and they'll, they'll make the comment, and I know we mean good and well, and I've even said it, you've said it, you'll meet somebody and they'll say, hey, I'm not perfect, but, <laughs> have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed? I mean, next time you hear someone talk, like, you, you'll, you'll pick up to it, especially after today. Someone will come and say, hey, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm honest. You know, they're trying to tell a little bit, like, I'm trying to strive for perfection, right? Hey, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm pretty good right or hey I'm not perfect but I'm not as bad as she is you know what I'm saying and so they're always followed by but I'm not perfect but and that's what we want to talk about today is like what is how does God take in perfect people like me and you and use this to change a region that changes the world right and there's one thing that we all have in common every one of us have this in common every single one of us every one of us have a past and it's our past a lot of times that keeps us from moving forward. It keeps us from being everything that God wants us to be. In fact, your past will keep you from coming to church. A lot of people won't come to church, right? You meet people like this and say, hey, if I go to church, the walls will fall down. You said, no, it won't. I'm there. If I'm there, you're cool, right? You're good. And what happens is their past keeps them from maybe coming to church. Well, I'm just not good enough for the church up on the hill. I'm just not good enough to go up the holler and go up to that church over there. So your past will hold you back from even attending church. Your past will hold you back from giving your life to Jesus. Some of you here said, I'm just too far gone. Some of you watching online, there's no way that God can save me. You don't understand my past. You don't know where I've come from, what I've said, what I've tried, what I've done. And I just don't know if God can truly forgive me. So your past will hold you even from giving your life to Jesus. Listen, your past will hold you back from being baptized today. You know how many people that, that come to faith in Christ, that give their life to Jesus, and now the scripture commands us next to be baptized. After that, we give our life to Jesus and ready to be baptized. And here's what happened. I'm just not ready to get baptized yet. Why? Well, I just don't feel like I'm ready. I don't feel like I'm perfect yet. I don't feel like, you know, I still do some things. I had you know, bad thoughts. I still said something I shouldn't have said last night. Or I tried something. I just don't know if I'm ready yet because I think I got to clean up a little bit more before I put the jersey on. Like before I step out and, and be baptized. And some of you, because of your past, even though you're saved, it will keep you from being baptized because you don't think you're ready. Let me tell you when you're ready. When you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you're ready. You're ready to follow him and to be baptized. But it will hold you back from being baptized. Follow, listen, your past will keep you from following Jesus. 
your past will keep you from serving Jesus because you're like, I don't know if I should serve in a church or do anything because you don't know, Pastor, what I've said, what I've tried, where I've come from. And a lot of times we all, we think about past, we think about past failures, we think about past, you know, issues that I'm just not good enough to and you fill in the blank. But a lot of people have even past that's successful. And even successful past will keep you from moving forward. Some of you have been very successful in your past, therefore you won't move forward because you're afraid of failure. And you feel afraid you'll fail because you've always been so good at something, so successful, that you're afraid if I fail that maybe then I won't be good enough. Some of you, because you're a pretty good person, you're pretty good, right? I'm perfect, but hey, I'm not as bad as him. I'm not as bad as her. I'm perfect, but I still don't do some of that kind of crazy sin stuff. And, And so what happens is you think that you're good. And you think that you're okay and that you're good enough to whatever it may be, good enough to, in God's eyes, good enough to go to heaven, whatever it may be, you think that you are good enough. And what I love about the Bible, I love the Bible. The Bible is so awesome just to read. And what I love about it is it's full of imperfect people that God used in a crazy great way. You have Moses. Moses murdered an Egyptian, hit him in the sand, was a fugitive on the run, and God used him to be one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament. You, you, you'll have people like Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a hooker. And God used a hooker to spare the lives of some of his people. Like you, you see, when we read the Bible, we don't understand that these people have a past just like we have a past. You have people who look at God and God wants to use them. You remember Jonah? God said, I want to use you. And Jonah says, here I am. Send somebody else because I don't want to go. I don't want to go there. And at that time, Jonah, at the known time, historically, runs as further away he can that he thought was from God. And God met him there and said, what's going on, man? Why are you running from me? And God still used him. You have Peter, who looks at people and denies Jesus. And the last time he denies Jesus, he calls curses down on him. Do you know that? He cursed himself saying, I do not know Jesus. Like, you just been spending three years with him. How do you not know him? And he lies. And he calls down curses. And then what happens? God uses him great and preaches and 3,000 people are saved and baptized in one day. And so God takes messed up, jacked up people and he used them greatly through the Bible. And he does the same thing today. And so as we kick off this series called Imperfect, I want you, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, pull your phone out. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3. Grab the Bible app. Because I want to walk you through this story real quick about the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul, let's put this in the context what's taking place. The Apostle Paul, as inspired by the Spirit, begins to write letters to churches. And there's a city called Philippi, and inside Philippi were all these pocket house churches. There's a church over here, church over there, church over there. And so all of a sudden, Paul gets word that the people in the church in the city of Philippi begin to add to the cross to be right with God. They begin to debate whether you could be perfect, whether that you could have like, like, um, personal striving that by human effort that you could be made right with God and so what would happen is they would say it's Jesus plus circumcision Jesus plus the law let's fast forward today it's Jesus plus tithing it's Jesus plus attending church it's Jesus plus baptism it's Jesus plus serving and Jesus plus read your Bible they were adding that you have to do these things too to get right with God to be in a right relationship with God so it was Jesus plus human effort And so what Paul wants to do, he wants to dispute this. So he sits down, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he begins to pen the letter to the churches of Philippi saying, whoa, 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 you you got this wrong. You don't understand this. 
So it's with that context in your mind. Now you will understand what he's saying when he's trying to debate or rebuttal the, the argument that you can be good and be right with God. And so we see this when you see Philippians 3 verses 1 through 4. He basically says this. If you can be right with God by being good, like your self-righteousness, then I'm your boy. Because no one is going to be as good as me. And let me tell you why the church is a Philippi, why I believe that. And then we pick up in chapter 3, verse 5. If you're ready to get started, so let's go. That's right. we got to watch the end games out of this. So let's go. Come on, here we go. Verse 5. Now look what he says. Remember the debate, human effort. And he makes an argument first here from the providence of God. Let me show you this. By the providence of God. He says this in verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. If you don't know what that means, ask an adult. Don't Google it. Okay? And this is for the record. Don't Google it. So what is he trying to tell the church of Philippi? He's saying, I was born in the right family. Because he didn't get to choose that. Paul didn't choose the family. You can't choose the family you're born into. You can't choose your race, your skin color, your nationality. You can't choose the country you're born into. And you can't choose the generation you're born into. So the apostle Paul appeals to providence. It's God's providence. His will for me to be born into this wealthy family of Taurus. And I was born into the right family who did the right laws, who took me to the right place. And on the right day, when I was eight years old, I was circumcised. So I want you to understand by providence, if I could be made right with God, I was got the right family. And you know how many people a lot of times they think they're right with God because of their family? Well, I'm pretty good because my wife goes to church. Or, hey, my grandpa was a deacon in church. He donated the land to the church to build on. Good for your grandpa. What about you? And so many people think if they have the right family, it makes them right with God. And he makes this argument, if that could be the case, I've got the right family. Because they were a very faithful family. He keeps going on and says this, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. Doesn't mean anything to me and you at all. But what is he saying? There's no Gentile blood in my bloodline. I can trace my genealogy all the way back to Father Abraham. I'm as pure-blooded DNA through the bones, through the veins as they come. And they, they, they thought that this was very important because God elected Israel to be his people. He did. He can. Why? Because he's God. And so he chose in his own sovereignty to pick this little tiny nation to be his people. He gets to do that. So now he's saying, not only was I born into the right family, I'm born into the right nation. Like this is God's people. And if, if you could be made right with God just by your family or by being in a nation, I'm your boy. Because I can do this. I got this figured out. Remember the debate. Human effort trying to be right with God. Then he goes on and says, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only do I have the right family, not only do I have the right nation, I'm in the right tribe. Now, what does that mean? Well, you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? God changed Jacob's name to Israel. That's where we get Israel today. Jacob has 12 sons. That's where we get to 12 tribes of Israel. One of the son's name was Benjamin. And here's what he's saying. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I can trace my genealogy all the way back to Benjamin. What's so important from being from the tribe of Benjamin? It was the most loyal tribe to God. It was one of the most courageous tribes to God. He said, I come from the most noble, respected tribe in Israel. So if you could be made right with God by your family, 
by your nation or where your tribe you're in, I'm your boy. Because I come from the providence side of God. I didn't get to pick that. I didn't get to choose that. God chose that for me. So if I could be made right with him just based on my lineages, just that, I got it. I got it. So then he appeals to not only from the providence of God, but let me tell you how I took it a step further in my own self-righteous and my own self-works to make sure that I could be made right with God. He goes on and says that, a real Hebrew, if ever there was one. Now, what in the world does that mean? A real Hebrew. Like, I mean, we're sitting here today, right? 2,000 years later, we're like, what, what does that mean, being a real Hebrew? Well, a lot of times, especially in the Old Testament, when someone come and invaded Israel and they dispersed and they scattered, they took some of the Jews back as slaves, they took some of the Jews with them, the hardcore Jews would not give up their dialect, their language, and they would not give up their customs, no matter what happened to them. We're going to speak Hebrew and we're going to do our custom. Well, Paul, as you'll find out here in just a minute, was persecuting the church and the church was scattered all over the place. And the common language was Greek. He's trying to say, I've not left my roots. By works, I still speak the Hebrew language. By works, I still do the Hebrew customs. Why? Because that's what God told us to in the Old Testament. So when you think about a Hebrew, I'm your boy. Like, I got this figured out. I haven't left where I've come from. It may be a hundred years old, hundreds of year old language, but I still speak the language. I still have the right talk. Have you ever met church folks who have the right talk? You know what I'm saying? They know just enough about church to be dangerous. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they have the right language, the right talk. They can talk the right things with you. But just because someone intellectually can speak right about church doesn't make them right with God. Because you have people like this in the workplace, right? They don't go to church, but they know just as much as you do. They talk about things that you do. In fact, they use it up back against you. And they talk about these things because they have the right language, they have the right thing, but that doesn't make them right with God. And then he says this, I was a member of the Pharisees who demands the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. If you were here last Sunday or last weekend, we talked about Nicodemus from a little boy at the age of six, trained by the Torah rabbi, all the way up, graduate of Harvard, the elite of the elite by the age of 15. He had almost the whole Old Testament memorized. He's like ready to go into rabbihood and he becomes a Pharisee, which is the most religious. Even Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel, the teacher. The master rabbi who comes to Jesus going, I don't understand this. And the same group of people is Paul. Paul was a Pharisee who has the strictest law, the separated one. He's got the Bible memorized backwards and forth. He knows this. He said, if you could have the right religion, the right language, the right nation, the right tribe, and the right family, if that was makes you right with God, I'm your boy. And what he's trying to let the churches know, it's not about your goodness. It's not about your works. That make you right with God. And so many of us, that's what we think. And so many of you here today and watch online because you're checking off the box to say, maybe God will be happy with me because I attend a church. Maybe God will be happy for me because I dropped the 20 in the bucket. Maybe God will be happy to me because I show up an hour early and I serve here. And you're trying to appeal to be right with God by your works and you don't even know it. Because that's what the enemy wants to do and lie to us. In verse 6, he says this, I was so zealous. I had passion, boy. Talking about passion. I harshly persecuted the church. And as a righteous, I obeyed the law without fault. Talk about passion. He had it. I'm going to cross every T, dot every I there is to the law. When it comes to being blameless, not sinless, but blameless, I'm your boy. And so he's debating back and forth and saying, if anyone can put 
you know, stock in their own goodness. <laughs> I got the right family. I got the right nation. I'm from the right tribe. I speak the right words. I, I, I go by the right religion. And still that doesn't make me right with God. But that's all his success stuff. But then Paul has something that a lot of us, we don't pay attention to. Because we think Apostle Paul, he's this godly God. He gives us two-thirds of the New Testament. Oh my gosh, he's like God's man. I'll never be like the Apostle Paul. Wait, you're more likely than what you think. Because he has a past like me and you. And you don't talk about when I say a past, don't you? That sin. We all have that sin. The one that you go, I know God can forgive me, but I don't know if he forgive me of that one. I'm talking about the sin you did 20 years ago and it still haunts you. I'm talking about the sin you did 10 years ago, but you'll watch a movie, see something on Facebook, or you see them, or you'll see her, or you'll see him, and it reminds you of that sin. And it's like you can never get past that sin because it's always in your rearview mirror. You don't have to raise your hand. I know I'm preaching to you. Because all of us have it, that sin, that, that I, I know God loves me, but man, that, man, that one, man, that's, that's the one that really haunts me. Like that's the one that's still, that's still there. I can never get away from it. It's that thing, that sin. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1.13. You know what I was like. No, how was you like, Paul? When I followed the Jewish religion, when I thought I was from the right family, right language, right tribe, right nation, right religion, when I thought I was right with God, look what I did. I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. Does anybody have that on the resume? I mean, I like, man, I had this addiction. I had this sexual issue in my life. You know, I shouldn't have said that. I hurt someone wrong here, and I did something over here. And you have all these things. But do you have that on your resume that you persecuted God's church and you try to stop it? See, what people don't understand, Paul was a terrorist. Paul was standing there in Acts chapter 7 holding the coats that laid at the feet of Stephen, approved the first martyr recorded in the Bible, heard Stephen's yuck, look up at the father and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And Paul was there and he watched Stephen die by being stoned to death. See, we don't think about that, Paul. Acts chapter 8, Paul's going house to house, pulling out Christians and persecuting them. And most of them died. And he thought he was doing what's right with God. How many of you have down your way? I try to stop God's church. I try to stop the Jesus movement. I try to stop the way that was coming. You don't think that weighed on Paul's conscience? You don't think at night when he lays down and the enemy begins to lie to him, going, well, God never going to use you, man. Look what you did. You think he ever forgot the faces of the parents you dragged out and the kids were begging, please bring my mommy and daddy back. And he says, stone them. See, we read about the Apostle Paul. We think this all fluff. He's great. He's godly. He's God's man. If I could just be like Paul. You don't think he lay down at night and remember the faces of the people he allowed to be murdered? He's a terrorist. And you, don't, you think he thought he was perfect? You don't think he has a past that holds him back to do what God wants him to do? And then all of a sudden, Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him. Remember, Jesus came, he died, got up out of the grave, and ascended to the Father. Now he comes and he appears to Saul, who changed his name to Paul. And he says, why are you persecuting me, man? And all of a sudden, that one encounter with Jesus radically 
change his life. His eyes were open to see. And that's my prayer for you. And everyone watching online, that your eyes will be open to see how God will take someone with a past like Paul, who thought he was right with God, realize how terribly wrong he was, and then God used it for his glory. Now, verse 7, after he's met Jesus, look what he says. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless. What? Right language, right family, right heritage, right nation, right tongue, Hebrew, all that. All the accolades that I have, all the Harvard of Jewish college that I went through that I've got, the master of the rabbi, understanding the Pharisees, part of the most elite, separated, wisest Jewish group ever to live. I, I, I can't, all that is gone. It's worthless for what Christ has done for me. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. See, here's something else. When we read the Bible, we don't understand about Paul. Paul's from Taurus, very wealthy family, very prestigious family. Set under the feet of Gamel, one of the famous, most rabbi teachings that could ever teach him the law. He's the boy. And all of a sudden, the moment in Damascus, when he follows Jesus, family, gone. Reputation, gone. The elite separated Pharisees he hung out with, give us back your cloak, gone. You are not worthy to wear that. Though the one you tried to stop, now you're the one you are preaching for. We disown you. We've abandoned you. You've ran your parents' name through the mud. Everyone back home knows everything about you. See, we don't see this. We don't think about this side of Paul. And what does he say right here? I've discarded everything. Everything. As garbage. My family left me. Everyone turned their back on me because I followed Jesus. See, we don't understand that. A year and a half ago, a young college student boy came and met me outside here. And he said, do you have a moment to chat for a second? I said, sure. And one of my friends on campus brought him to me because he led him to the Lord, the, the ministry there. And he said, hey, you just talked about families disowning family. And I said, yeah. He said, I'm letting you know I'm about to go through that. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm from the Middle East. I'm here on a student visa. And Jesus just opened my eyes and I have turned from my Muslim faith and I've given my life to Jesus. And what you just preached, I'm about to experience. My mom and dad will never talk to me again for the rest of my life. My whole entire family will abandon me. I wouldn't even be able to go back home now and fearful of my life because of the peace that God has given me in my heart and shown me that Jesus is real. And what you just preached on, I'm about to experience. Would you pray for me? And I sit here and I look amongst the people in their comfortability who will gripe and complain because you walk in this door and someone's sitting in your seat. Do you get that? That someone took your parking spot when you pulled in here. And someone is sitting where you're supposed to be sitting. And you get offended by that. You know why you get offended by that? Because you're an immature Christian. Because babies, Christians talk like this. Me, mine, mine, I. And when you hear that, it's my seat, it's my parking spot, it's my opportunity, it's what's for me. It's because you're immature. 
And if that is you, please, you need to go find yourself another church and claim that seat. Because this is not the church that we tried to become. We welcome everyone, who they are, the way they are, to come here so that Jesus can change their heart and their life. And people get upset about this. It's like, well, they let sinners there. Where do you expect them to go? Think about that. Well, they welcome everyone. Yeah, because we're trying to be like Jesus. And I tell people all the time, people don't understand, this sermon starts in the parking lot. People make their mind up where they're going to come back to this church. Will they ever hear me preach? Were they friendly? Did they judge me? Is it okay what I wear? Was the kid's place safe? Was it secure? Was it nice? Before they even hear me preach, they've made their mind up where they're going to come back. And so we tell our guest service team and we tell people, we want you to love the hell out of people to their seat. And if someone comes in the church and they're offended, they will not be offended because the people of God offended them. They'll be offended because the word of God is offensive and it pricked their heart. But until you get them in a seat, they don't have the opportunity to hear the only thing that can change their life. I can't change you. I can't save you. But God's word can. And we have a bunch of people who, that's mine. What? And then a young college boy says, I'm about to be disowned. And we're complaining of not being comfortable and what's yours and what's not. Folks, we've got this wrong. We don't understand it. We don't grasp this. And look what he says. He says, he says, I count all of it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. All your translations except for one actually tones that word garbage down. Mine says garbage. Your older translations will say rubbish. But you know what it really literally means in the Greek? Animal waste. Dung. My Harvard degrees, my rabbi training, all the tourist stuff that I went through, made it to the top of the Pharisee of the Pharisees, born into the righteous family, born into God's family, born into the right language, the right tribe. All of it is worthless as a whole big pile of dung. Wow. If you think that's what makes you right with God, I count it all worthless. And so he says in verse 9, this is it. I no longer count on my own righteousness. That word righteousness is a big fancy word. It means right with God. I don't count my own righteousness through obeying the law, by doing works, by going to church, by serving, by reading my Bible. That's not why I'm, I'm right with God. That don't make me right with God. What does then? Rather, verse 9, I become right with God, righteous through faith. In Christ Jesus. I am saved by grace through faith. You know what makes me right with God? When I believe his son died for me and got up out of the grave for me. It's my faith in Jesus that makes me right and perfect. Not my works. And so many of us, we're, we're, we're trying to work to make God pleased with us. Trying to appease him and say, God, did you notice I did something good today? Did you notice I got up and read my Bible today? Did you notice I finally went to church once every three months, but I showed up today? Is that, does that make you happy, God? Because you think your works is what makes you right. And that's what Paul is trying to tell you. Your works don't make you right. The work on the cross, what makes you right? 
And then he says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Okay, that's pretty cool. I want to suffer with him and share in his death. I don't like that verse. Why would you write that, Paul? I want to suffer with him and sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul went past this dying and seeing Jesus face to face. He went to the end when the new heaven will be created. Because they don't have time to jump into all this right now. There's so much historical background that you have to set this up. But when Jesus comes back, the Bible tells us that the trumpet will be blown and those who have died before us in Christ, that their bodies will be resurrected from the grave. And those of us who are still alive will be called up with them and meet Jesus in the air. Paul says, I want to get past that part because I want to see, because when that happens, all this other stuff's going to escalate. All this other stuff, the world's going to be coming bound around to the end. And all this, he's going to create the new heaven and that's going to be the glorious time. He went past and said, absent from the body, be present from the Lord. That's cool if I die today before Jesus comes back. But when he comes back at that moment, man, that's going to be the day that I can't wait to see. See, Paul already went past his sinning face to face. I want to spend eternity with him in the new heaven. I want to see this new place. He was at a whole nother level thinking. But he says, I want to know him. How do you not know him, Paul? <laughs> Come on, the Holy Spirit used you to write two-thirds of the New Testament. How do you not know him? You see, if you think you're perfect today, get to know him. If you think you're imperfect, get to know him. And when you know him, something will change in your life. And so verse 12, okay, that was all background. Here's the sermon. Here's the sermon. Right? If you didn't, if I didn't have one point, it would been a pointless sermon, right? Ah, you missed it. You missed it. Look what he says. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved it, but these things that I've already, or that I've already reached perfection, I'm not perfect, guys. Even with all the stuff I accolades, I'm not perfect. But I press on to possess that perfection for Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Now, as a Bible student, you're reading the Apostle Paul's letter and you say, Paul says, I focus on one thing. We should stop and say, what, is, what do you mean? See, that focus, that word focus in the Greek means this, single-minded, you know what the problem is with most of us? We're double-minded, and that's what James warned of. Don't be double-minded. Double-minded is like a ship that's tossed back and forth from the ocean. It doesn't know which way it's going. It means like this. God is good, and he's going to come through, but I don't know if he can heal my grandma. God is faithful. He'll put food on the table, but I don't think I can tithe. God is going to do this at work, and he's going to provide for me a job, but I'm living paycheck to paycheck. See, double-minded goes back and forth and back and forth, and you're tossed back like this. Paul was single-minded. How do you do that? Because the same devil that lies to you is the same devil that lies to Paul. When he laid down at night saying, you think God can use you? Look what you did. You killed Christians. You approved them to be persecuted. Let's fast forward the day when the devil lies to you. Look what you did in your past, what you did 20 years ago. You know that sexual sin is still with you. You know how you hurt them and wronged them? Yep, I'm not going to let you forget about it. And the same devil that lies to you about your past is the same one that lies to him. But he says, I will be single-minded. How do you become single-minded? How do you get to the point where the past no longer controls you? Here's the sermon. Here's what he says. I focus on one thing. He says one thing, and then he gives four things. You know he's a preacher. Here's one point, but 50 sub-points, right? 
And if you're Baptist, every verse you could get three points out of it. I don't understand it, but it works that way. Look what he says. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Real quick, here's what he says. If you want to stay single-minded, here's the first thing you've got to do. Here's what Paul says I do. I'm reminded of my past. I'm reminded of the persecuted church. I'm reminded of all the bad things I've done. But here's what I do. The first thing I'm going to do is I will forget the past. How do you do that? Like literally, how do you do that? How do I forget what I see in my rearview mirror every day of my life? Because I'm here to tell you, you will never forget that sin. You will never forget, forget that issue. Ever. So how do you forget the past? How do you do this? Well, Paul is talking about running a race. And he says, no one runs a race by looking backwards because you'll never know where you're going. And the only way, honestly, to break the power of the past is start living in the present. So you read through the Bible and the Bible says this about God. It says this, it says that God takes your sins and throws them as far as the east is to the west to remember them no more. That God takes your sins and throws them into the depths of the abyss of the ocean of the sea to remember them no more. How can an all-knowing, all-power, omniscient God forget your sins? Can God purposely erase it from his hard drive? No, he's God. He knows all things and everything and will always know all things and everything. How then does God forget my sins? And here's what I like to suggest to you is that God doesn't forget what we think of forgetting out of our mind our sins. I would suggest that God says this, when I look at you, I will never let your sin or your past influence my love towards you because of what Jesus did on the cross. So when I see you, I know your past, but when I see you, I see you covered with my son. We say with the blood of Jesus, it now covers you. And when I look at you, I see you as my daughter. I see you as my son. I know what you've done, but I'm not gonna let your past influence me for my affection for you because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And so how do you do this? How do you do this? And let me tell you, how I did it because I'm reminded of my past probably daily because I never will forget it I'm reminded of where I've come from and how God saved me I could watch a movie and something would trigger I could see something on Facebook something would trigger you could say a comment bam something would trigger it but it was 12 years of being a pastor it finally clicked with me. You see, people who struggle with their past that influences how they live today don't understand God's grace. And for 12 years, I would preach grace. I will extend grace. I just couldn't receive grace. This had nothing to do with not be being saved. And finally, as best as my finite mind could understand, there came a moment 
where I just receive the grace of God. That when I look in my rearview mirror and I see my past, it no longer has control of how I live today. It's there. But when I see it, I see God's grace covering it. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. I don't even understand it. But the moment that I fully receive God's grace, and listen, I've been pastoring for 12 years, or Christian for 12 years, and the moment I received it, this whole big burden of, there's my past, but there it is. Yep, the diary of Daniel Lucas. But it ain't going to control me anymore because I can't change it. And I've been forgiven. And here's what's the problem with most people. They feel like they got to punish themselves. And because of their past, I got to be a little bit better. So God just makes a little extra grace to make sure that, that I can work and cover that one sin, that sin, that issues of sin. And you can't. That's why God sent his son. He says this, I'm going to look to the future. I'm going to look what lies ahead of me. He's running a race. You don't run a race and look backwards. You don't look sideways and see. You keep your eyes on the prize and you run forward. I can't change the past. It is what it is. I'm not going to live there anymore. I'm going to keep my eyes forward. I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. He says in verse 14, he says, you got to press on to the end. You got to press on. And this word press on, what it means is it's, 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 a, it's in the present tense, which means it's a constant daily thing. It's not like you're saved and you're pressed on and you're going on the glory. It's a constant daily. I got to press on. I'm going to keep striving in this race that God has laid out before me. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling. What is the heavenly prize? Perfection. No more sin, no more cancer, no more pain, no more tears, no more divorce, no molestation, no more. It's perfection. And that will only happen until you see when you see him face to face. You will never be perfect. But when you understand the grace of God, Paul says, there's going to come a day when he calls me home and I will see him face to face and this perfection that I've strived for by keeping rituals and rules and religion. Listen, I will now know. What I know, he says, impartial, I will now know in full on that glorious day. And then here's where we mess up, I think, a lot of the times. The last one, you got to hold on to the progress. You got to hold on to it. I'm not who I used to be. But I'm not who I'm going to be. I'm going to hold on to the progress of where I've come from. I've had highs. I've had lows. I've had ups. I've had downs. But I'm going to hold on to the progress. Look what he says in verse 15. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. This is so funny. This is so, he's a crackerjack. What's this? What's this? If you disagree with me at some point, it's okay. I believe God will make it plain to you and show you that you're wrong. Is that not hilarious? Paul says, you have a right to be wrong, and, and you're going to see it my way shortly. And Paul said, I'm right here. I'm right. We must hold on to the progress we've already made. And this is the problem. We have spiritual highs. We have spiritual lows. One day you're hot. One day you're cold. One day you're saint. One day you're sinner. One day you're good. And then one day you're bad. And well, here's what happens is, just like me, my eighth grade year, my senior year in high school, 
walked to aisle, said a prayer, was baptized, never met Jesus. Why? Because I didn't believe I could keep the church's rules and the Bible's rules to be good enough because I didn't understand grace. Because this was me. High, low, good, bad. What do you do? You hold on. You keep walking. You keep living. You don't throw away the progress. You fall, you get up. You sin, you confess it. Stop living down and start living up. And keep your eyes on Jesus. And then now I want to share this one point. Because this is a little opposite than what I've seen in Paul's life. Here's what happens. Someone gives their life to Jesus and all of a sudden all that weight, all that burden, all that sin completely gone. And the biggest sinner that you think you are, you feel so free and so forgiven. And then you come to church and you see Christians who have been saved longer than you. And you're like, they still talk like that? They still act like that? You start serving on a serving team with somebody and the next day they say, oh, they said that? I thought that they, I thought when you gave your life to Jesus, you had to be perfect, you had to be good, you had to be better. And then here's what happens. Hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than him. I'm not the most perfect person to go to church, but I'm doggone a little bit better than she is. And but what happens is entitlement to think that, hey, I, I'm not perfect, which we knew that when you gave your life to Jesus. Now you go, but I'm not too bad. And then what happens is you get a little bit gooder and you're like, I'm not perfect, but man, I'm pretty close. I'm doing pretty good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not who I used to be. I don't sin like I used to sin, but man, I'm, I'm a little better. But that's not what we see the Apostle Paul do. We see it, the Apostle Paul in the beginning of his writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, you know all the apostles, the 12 apostles, I'm the least. Out of all the 12, I'm the least. Because look what I did. I, I'm the least of these 12. And then Paul gets a little bit more mature, grows a little bit older, and he gets to Ephesians chapter 3, and he writes this. Hey, you know, out of all the Christians on the planet, out of all the saints, I'm the least of the saints. I'm the least of the saints. I'm like the worst Christian on the planet. And then at the end of Paul's life, he writes to young Timothy, 1 Timothy, in chapter 1. And he says this, I am the chief of all sinners. The more he matured and the closer he got to Jesus, he realized, woe is me. Woe is me. And I want to tell you, if you think I'm perfect, but get close to Jesus. Because when you get close to Jesus and you see his perfection, you realize, get away from me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Get away from me. I'm a man of unclean thoughts. God, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace. And it will keep perspective that I don't have to be good because I will never be good enough. And it will remind you how to be more grateful, more thankful you are for the cross and his grace and his mercy that's new every single day. It will never, you will never outsend God's grace. You will never outsend God's mercy. Whatever you do today, you can wake up tomorrow and it's new every day. Someone should shout amen about that. I'm not perfect, but I will forget my past. And I will look forward. And I will press on to the perfection 
of the heavenly prize. And I will hold on to the progress I am making in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would to bow your heads. Both of our locations, online, in the house. I know there's several of you who struggle with your past. We all have one. And you realize, how do I get over it? It's the one, you don't have to come to confess to me. I'm not your priest. You have a high priest. His name is Jesus. He loves you. You can go to him anytime. He knows your issues and your struggle. And if you're struggling with getting over your past, listen to me. I'm going to tell you because I've been there. Even as your pastor, I've been there. Listen, it's because I could not grasp his grace. And the moment my eyes were open to his grace, it changed me. It's there, but it no longer has power over me because his grace covers me. This ain't a salvation issue. It's like receive his grace in the area of your life. And if that's you, I'm going to pray that God does a great work right now in your life and opens up your heart that you will receive his grace and understand his mercy and his grace. And that sin, come on, you know what I'm talking about. That area of your life that you bury, that you hope that no one, that right there that keeps you up and it still reminds you from time to time, listen, his grace covers it and that you're forgiven. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, come on, today's the day. Your Savior loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But you don't know what I've said, what I tried. It doesn't matter. He brought you here this morning. Salvation has already visited this house. And I'm going to trust he's already doing a work in your heart right now. And if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus, would you cry out to him? The Bible says, with your mouth you can confess. With your heart you believe. And if your heart believes that Jesus is Christ is Lord and all that sin and all that guilt and all that shame to be given to him, then let's confess him as Lord. Just say with your mouth, Jesus, right now, say it. Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today, as best as I know how, I put my faith in you. That you would take all my sins and remember them no more. Now, as best as I know how, help me follow you all the days of my life. If that's you, I want to pray for you too. At online, both locations, I want to pray for you right now. If that's you, as a pastor today, I just want to let you know I cried out to the Lord and asked him to forgive me of my sin. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? I'm not coming to you. Just raise it. Come on, get it up. Come on. Just raise it up there. I'm going to come. I'm going to pray for you. Awesome. Anybody else? Come on. Awesome. I see you, bro. That's amazing. So for those who raise your hand, just in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. When I begin to pray and we close, if you serve in the next step area, in, 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 the, in the red room area, in the next step area, would you stand when I begin to pray and just go ahead and walk out and beat the crowds out? And if you raise your hand, would you, if you feel comfortable doing that, would you just, when I begin to pray, stand up and walk out with them? and beat the crowd out 
so that we can give you a resource. And if you don't walk out when I'm praying, would you walk over to the next step area and just let them know, say, hey man, I gave my life to the Lord. We got a Bible for you. We got some resources for you. We want to help you in this journey with Jesus. Father, thank you so much again that salvation has visited us this morning. God, only you can save people. Only you can change people's lives. And Father, we thank you now for the salvations that happened today. That Lord, you're still in the business of opening people's eyes and helping them see how much you love them. God, for those who do know you and still struggle with their past, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you, Father God, would surround them with your presence, that you would just cover that sin in their life with your grace that you already have, but you will destroy whatever's blocking them to receiving it. That no longer will their past dictate their future. No longer will their past haunt them and control them today. They will see it, but when they see it, they see it nailed to the cross. They see it covered with your grace and your love and your mercy and they can live the life that you have called them ordained them and destined them to live we believe that we declare that in this house this morning we ask that in the most matchless powerful name the name above all names and the name of jesus it's in his name we ask and we pray thanks for joining us online today if while watching this message you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following jesus we would love to celebrate with you let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you would like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church slash give now. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon.